Well, good morning, everyone. Again, it's good to see everybody. We're uh, thankful, like we've been talking about, just to be able to be together and to worship together. Uh, I'm thankful to be able to to be with you this morning, and uh, we're going to be in John chapter 20. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. And uh, just a lot to be thankful for, like we talked about. And, you know, one of the kind of cool things is that uh, you know, Ruside Church family has been able to uh, celebrate a couple of weddings recently, and so we're uh, happy for uh, Josh and Rainey, and congratulations to you guys. And, uh, and then yesterday, uh, we had the High Slop family uh, that also Abby uh, and Cade got married, and, uh, and that went well, and uh, they, are, they are off uh, on their little trip uh, today, and so we want to be praying for them, but uh, it's, it's exciting. It's a fun time. It's a fun time, hopefully, for the couple. Uh, it's a, a fun time uh, for the rest of the people that are there, right? It's a celebration, and uh, it's, it's just an enjoyable time. I know that uh, as pastors, it's kind of a fun thing to be able to be a part of and had the opportunity to officiate the wedding yesterday, and uh, it just really was a, a joy uh, to be able to share with them in that. And Pastor Paul and I talk about, we, you know, we enjoy uh, just being able to do those things. And, but, you know, what's even kind of more enjoyable is uh, kind of the leading up to the wedding. And a lot of times uh, we get to be involved in some of the premarital counseling and we get to talk through a lot of the really important things uh, about what Scripture teaches about uh, marriage and being prepared, not just for a day, but for a lifetime, right? And all those things are really good. But one of the things I love about the premarital counseling is that you just really get to sort of take a deep dive into this relationship. And it's just, a lot of times it's just so cool to see, you know, the story, right, of how they met. Anybody like hearing the stories, right? Are you that person who's like, tell me how you met? And, and, you know, there's a part of that, like how they met and, and how their relationship grew. And uh, maybe there were some difficult uh, periods of time in there and how they worked through some of those things. And uh, you get to see sort of this evolution of their relationship, right, and how their love continued to grow. And eventually they get to a point uh, where they feel like God is calling them to be married and get to unpack that a little bit and hear just what it was that, uh, drew them to believe, hey, this is God's will for me for the rest of my life. And it's just, it's just a really uh, cool, fun thing to sort of process to go through, and it's exciting. And the thing that makes it interesting, I think, is that in relationships, uh, there is, right, this natural growth that happens. And it happens in marriage relationships, but it also happens even in just regular relationships and friendships that we have. There's a natural growth process that takes place. And, um, and I think about that just in terms of my own sort of life and my own marriage. And I've had the opportunity, uh, you know, to share uh, a little bit about my past. And a lot of you guys know that, you know, I just went through a period of time that was difficult and went through some, some hurts and some betrayal. And I've shared about that in the past. But praise the Lord, uh, that's not where my story ended, right? And that I have this incredible blessing Uh, that is my wife, and, um, wow, there's a shocker, isn't it? I just tell you, (laughs) can't get through anything, so I'm so thankful for my wife, and uh, I just love her, and, uh, but I'm thankful for how God uh, orchestrated these events for the two of us, and I don't want to bore you too much with the details, but I will anyway, and, uh, but, uh, but here's the thing is that like I just went through, like I said, this place where, you know, I was coming out of uh, a little bit of hurt and uh, just sort of wondering what the future was going to be like and dealing with some, you know, things of, of loneliness and just what the future had for me and whether or not, um, you know, relationships would ever be in my future at a certain point. I didn't think uh, that that would happen or that I really even had a desire for that to happen. And, uh, and God was moving me around. I didn't really understand a lot of what was going on and, and uh, was still in the process of dealing with those, some of those things. But then God kind of opened the door uh, for me to have this job at an assisted living community. And there we had this gathering of management. And lo and behold, guess who I met? 
I met my Jennifer. She wasn't my wife then. Uh, but, you know, I met Jennifer there, and uh, we were um, sort of uh, working in management in the same place. And, and so we sort of had this encounter that we had, and I just sort of met her, and, um, you know, I sort of, you know, I, I, I liked her, but I, I didn't really think too much of it. Um, I wasn't really looking for anything, right? It was just kind of this random thing that happened. And then, you know, we continued to work together. We continued to talk and to get to know each other and eventually, uh, you know, become friends. We had some shared common hurts from the past. Uh, but here's, here's the point. Is it was kind of an unexpected encounter. We weren't really looking or expecting uh, an, another opportunity for uh, love or, or marriage. And I think Jennifer was kind of in the same boat. Uh, but what I know was that God was preparing me for what I was not expecting. And even uh, when there were moments when I was still wrestling through some of the anger that I had towards God about the situation that I was in, uh, you know, now I look back on that and I see that God was actively positioning my life to reap a blessing that he had. And that was through my wife. And, and, and so, you know, we had this encounter that we weren't really looking for. I wasn't expecting. Uh, but then it didn't stop there. We became friends. And we began to have these experiences together where because of our jobs, we were kind of brought together and we got to know each other. And despite some of the fears that we had and some of the uncertainties about relationships, uh, you know, we started talking and we started becoming friends and we had these experiences where uh, we began to share meals together and, uh, and eventually we would uh, start dating and uh, we would just spend a lot of time together, a lot of time, as you know, just talking. We took a lot of walks. I know it doesn't really show, but we, we walked and walked and walked. That was kind of our thing. We just walked all the time just talking about things and it was just really good. And, um, but we had these meaningful experiences that came out of this encounter. And, and, and out of that, then we developed this deeper relationship, obviously. And it was a neat thing. And even spiritually, it was really cool. One of early on, um, you know, we had an opportunity uh, to walk and talk about the gospel and uh, to be able to share what the gospel means and in the reality of Christ and his death and resurrection and, uh, and had an opportunity to see Jennifer put her trust in Christ uh, as, as her savior. And so it was this really meaningful experience that became kind of a bedrock of our relationship. And then later on, uh, several months later, had the opportunity uh, to baptize her and uh, just to see the Lord continue to work in her life. And so it was like this experience uh, these, all these experiences that sort of developed. But praise God, it didn't end there, right? It wasn't just this encounter that I wasn't expecting, and it wasn't just these experiences that we were having, but then there was this transformational event, right, that we decided that we were going to get married. And there was a permanent transformation that took place in our relationship. And all of the doubts that maybe that we had, and you know how that is, even when you're in an engagement and you're about to get married and you have you know, a bride and a groom, sometimes you get to it and you can have these doubts, right? And, and what do you do? You kind of look back on the foundation and the truth and the reality of the relationship and it overcomes the doubts so that you can be ready to make the commitment that you're uh, wanting to make in marriage. And so all of the doubts that you know, I had were relieved when we made this permanent commitment to one another, a commitment that to this day, stand, to this day stands as a beacon of hope um, and trust, even when things are difficult uh, in our relationship. But there was something that was transformational. Again, it wasn't just this encounter. It wasn't just experiences, but it was, it led to a place of transformation where now our lives are forever changed and there is something that is uniquely different now right that we can't go back and undo and so um, I'm thankful for that and what that has led to is in relationships and growing relationships there is a lasting faith that comes out of that there's a lasting faith in our commitment uh, and love for one another and so we have a faith that is built on an encounter and experiences 
but most importantly on the transformational commitment that fills our lives with love and hope. And so, of course, these elements can be found in a marriage relationship, but they are also part of any strong relationship that we might have, whether that be with a spouse or like a long-standing friend. But I think that these elements are also realities and true in our spiritual walk with Christ. And so this morning as we unpack uh, John chapter 20, um, we're going to be looking at uh, this um, resurrection account and these eyewitness accounts. So the last time that we were together in John, we saw the evidence of the resurrection through the events that took place in the dark, right? We talked about the empty tomb. We talked about uh, the angels that were there and how they give evidence for the truth and reality of the resurrection. It was things that were happening right, right at dusk, right, when they were discovering the empty tomb. But praise the Lord, it didn't stop there. The evidence continued. Uh, the morning, the day, throughout the day, there was a continuing revelation of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Jesus goes in, he appears to different groups and people, and in this he reveals, in broad daylight, in the middle of the day, he reveals himself. And I think one of the big encouragements for us is that God continues to reveal himself in the same ways, and that God makes himself known, not just in the dark, but in ways that are right out in the open for us to see, if our hearts are positioned and willing to see it. And so this morning, I want to continue to look at the evidence of the eyewitness accounts. At the end of chapter 20, it shows how the resurrection continued to be revealed throughout that day in the light. And so that's the title of the message this morning as we look at these eyewitness accounts. And so we see Christ appearing to many people and his resurrection becomes the testimony of their lives. But it also gives an example for us of, I think, what is a common way or some common ways that Christ, the risen Savior, continues to reveal himself to us today. So one of the questions I would ask is, how does God reveal himself to you? How has God revealed himself to you in the past? How has God continued to reveal himself to you as you have sought after him, as you have walked with him And maybe in 2024, you know, how is God going to be revealing himself to you so that you can make sure to be watching and not miss it? Now, it would be negligent of me to not uh, articulate the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection is not a marginal event. The resurrection is the event without which there is no Christianity, without which there is no salvation, without which there is no forgiveness, without which there is no heaven. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the divine affirmation of his work of atonement on the cross. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he was declaring that he was satisfied by Jesus' perfect sacrifice, and he had accepted it as a full payment for the sins of his people. The resurrection then demonstrates that our sin is atoned for, that death is conquered, and that eternal life is available to everyone who will believe. And it is impossible to be a Christian and to not believe in the resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, God declared Jesus as the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There are many people, uh, even within Christianity, that continue to deny the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. People that think that it didn't really happen, and they think that they are part of Christianity. And really, that probably shouldn't surprise us. There's a lot of people that believe that they're Christians, and yet deny the essentials of the gospel. And, you know, I just, I just read the other day that there was, a, there was a woman who's a pastor at a Methodist church that said that she's an atheist. And I was thinking, what, what kind of church would that be like to go to? You know, like, it's kind of the doom and gloom. I don't know where the hope would be. But the resurrection is the event by which God validates the sacrifice of Christ. 
All of those animal sacrifices that took place all of those centuries could never take away sin permanently. But the one sacrifice of Christ removes sin on the part of the people of God who believe. And it removes it forever. And God indicated that by the resurrection, by the ripping of the veil in the temple, ending the ceremonial system and the sacrificial system at that point, Christ was the complete and satisfactory offering. And furthermore, not only is there no salvation and no Christianity if Christ doesn't rise, but if Christ doesn't rise, then he is a liar and he is a deceiver and a charlatan and a fraud because he said in in Matthew chapter 12, he says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so so the son of man be in the earth. And he said in John chapter 2, destroy this body in three days, I'll raise it again. So if he didn't rise, then he lied. And we learn this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you pull the resurrection out of Christianity, then you have nothing left. Paul writes, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And and our faith also is in vain. We are false witnesses of God because we testified on behalf of God that he raised Christ whom he didn't raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised. If Christ is not raised, then your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. See, the resurrection is everything. And because it is, it is relentlessly assaulted and attacked by our culture. And so we want to sit in the importance of the resurrection but also take some time to look at how God revealed himself and the power of the resurrection that saves lives. And so we read this passage, and we want to look at the aspects of how Jesus revealed himself. And so this morning, I think it would be good for each of us to sort of think back, how did you come to Christ? If you've claimed Christ as your personal Savior, and you've put your faith and trust in him, how did that happen How did you come to know Christ and to be known by Christ? Perhaps this morning you're still on that journey and Christ is revealing himself to you in different ways. Perhaps this morning you had an encounter, but there are still fears and doubts that you're wrestling with. Maybe this morning you've had an encounter and you've also had some experiences, but you have yet to make a personal faith decision for Christ. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Christ, but you find yourself continuing to struggle to live by faith. And I think that these three testimonies of Christ revealing himself through the power of his resurrection can be our testimony as well. And so I want to look at those together with us this morning. I know that it's kind of a long introduction, but I just want us to get some context of where we're going to be kind of looking at this passage this morning. And so let's look at the passage together and identify kind of what are maybe four stages of relationship. And you can kind of think about your past, your present, and maybe your future in terms of your relationship with Christ. So the first one that we see is we want to identify with Mary's search and recognition. There's an identification with this idea of search and rescue, if you will, search and recognition. And so John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, it reads this way. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So here's the thing. Mary Magdalene was the first one that came to the tomb. We read that in the beginning part of chapter 20, last time we were here. And she was the first one that was there. She discovered the empty tomb. She goes back. She tells the disciples Now, Peter and John come running. They also discover the empty tomb, and then they leave. And now Mary Magdalene is back, and she's there, and now she has an encounter. And in verse 12, it says, She saw two angels angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And so you can see here, she's, she's weeping. She, didn't, she wasn't expecting the resurrection, right? We talked about this. This wasn't some big hoax that was planned. She didn't have any idea what was going on. She's weeping. She's in sorrow. She's mourning. She doesn't know what's going on. There's confusion. 
Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Isn't that good? And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. What a cool passage, right? But isn't it interesting here? that Mary doesn't know the person that she's even looking at. Now, Jesus is kind of in this pre-ascension state, but, but Jesus is right in front of her, and it isn't until he says her name that he recognizes she's there, she's in sorrow, she's searching, she's trying to figure out what's going on, and Jesus calls her name, and she recognizes him. And so we find Mary Magdalene in this deep grief and confusion, seeking Christ at the tomb. She mistakes him for the gardener until Jesus calls her by name and she recognizes him. You know, I wonder how many times in our own lives that we too seek Christ, maybe in the midst of our own confusion and turmoil, and yet often fail to recognize him in the unexpected forms and situations. I think the application for us is to reflect on our own encounters with Christ, moments where he revealed himself unexpectedly, to acknowledge that these encounters are divine. I wonder if you've ever experienced that in your life where you have been in a moment of grief and confusion and God has shown up in an unexpected way in your life. And so here's what we would say is that I think that God uses grief and confusion to create encounters. He he might use other things as well, but I think one of the primary things that God does is that in the midst of the turmoil of our lives, God shows up and he creates these opportunities, these encounters for people to see Jesus for who he is. An encounter with Christ involves both the search and the recognition Many times there are people that are good people. They are moral people who believe that they are in control, that they can figure things out, that they don't need help, that they don't need a savior. And so they have no search. They they have no pursuit in and of themselves. And then there are others who maybe treat God a little bit like the idea of Santa Claus, right? That if you give me what I want, then I will believe, then I will follow you. And so sometimes it is our own wickedness, it is our own sin nature that prevents us from being able to recognize the encounter with Christ. And sometimes God has to allow for, right, not always cause, but he has to allow for circumstances in our lives to sort of tear away our own self-assurance, our own self-control, so that we can see Jesus for who he is and encounter him so that we can experience him in relationship Grief and confusion reveal our weaknesses and our needs, and they become opportunities to encounter Christ. But we have to be looking. We have to be having our eyes open and searching. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. See, God is pursuing us and he is there for us. But one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is by creating circumstances and allowing us to go through things that will cause us to be broken enough so that we will be able to rightly see the truth of who Christ is. And so in terms of understanding and seeing Christ revealed to us, part of it is that we have to see Jesus in unexpected places. We have to be willing to look and to acknowledge that Jesus is going to show up at the times and places that maybe we would expect it the least. Jesus, I believe, is revealing himself to each of us right now. And more than likely, it is in ways and places and maybe through people that you and I might not necessarily expect. 
And maybe you found this to be true in your own life. The person or the way that you were maybe first told about Jesus, uh, maybe it was at a time or point of crisis in your life or there was a problem that you were going through, a circumstance that was difficult, and God used someone or something to reveal himself to you in a way that maybe you just didn't expect. Because I think Jesus is the master of the unexpected. When you and I are experiencing grief or confusion, just like Mary Magdalene, it's an opportunity for an encounter with Christ. It's an opportunity for a divine intercession into our circumstances to bring about an unexpected blessing. And so, you know, what the challenge maybe then is that the next time that we're experiencing a hardship or a difficulty, we can pray that God would give us the strength to say, God, this is, this is terrible, right? We're not diminishing it. This is bad. Uh, this seems unfair, but I'm going to trust that you are in control and that you're going to show up in this situation and that I am going to look for an encounter in these circumstances because Jesus is going to show up when we least expect it many times. And he does that for Mary Magdalene here in her time of grief, in her time of sorrow, In her time of confusion, Jesus calls her name. Maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing turmoil or grief or confusion. And if you seek after the Lord, he will call you by name and you will recognize his voice and you will encounter Christ. It's part of the ways, one of the ways that he reveals himself to us. But there's a second stage as well. And that is embracing Christ in peace, or Christ's peace in times of fear and uncertainty. So we might have grief, we might have turmoil, we we might have uh, sort of these times of confusion, and they generate these encounters with God. But then there is another stage to it that God gives more opportunities for us. And it deals with the fears and uncertainty that can sometimes come with that. Look in verses 19 through 25. He moves on from Mary Magdalene and goes to the disciples. It says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven of them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So here you have the disciples who have been sort of having these experiences, right? At least Peter and John, they're at the tomb. They saw the empty tomb and they're out celebrating the resurrection, right? No, they are behind closed, locked doors, And they are living in the reality of their own fears and uncertainty. And they lock themselves behind these closed doors. And yet Jesus appears to them offering peace and reassurance. In the same way in our lives when fear and uncertainty grip us, Christ offers a peace that surpasses understanding. And so I think the application here is to seek Christ's peace even in turbulent times allowing his presence to calm our fears. And so, again, maybe you're here this morning and you've had an encounter with Christ, but you have fears that sort of keep you from acting on it, keep you from growing in that relationship. Maybe it's a fear of what people will think. Maybe it's a fear of persecution. Maybe it's the uncertainty of the demands and sacrifices that following Christ will take on us. But maybe there are these fears and uncertainties that keep us from moving forward in the relationship. We have this encounter. We, we see Jesus and the reality of it, but, but we're kind of worried about moving forward, about really getting involved, about really digging deep. 
You know, you know we're, we're willing to maybe come to church once in a while, but we're, we don't know if we're really wanting to dive in completely to understand and to experience who Christ is. And I think that God meets us in those moments. God uses fear and uncertainty to create experiences. It, it, fear and uncertainty can, it can actually keep us uh, from allowing our encounter to develop into experiences. The same thing is true in relationships, right? Sometimes we can encounter and we can meet people, but we can have all these fears about being rejected. We can have all these fears about what people are going to think. We can have all these fears about what it's going to cost us, and it keeps us from being able to move forward in the relationship. And the same thing, I think, is true in our relationship with God. We can encounter him and yet have fears and uncertainty that keep us pulled back. And when we encounter Christ, um, we fear maybe what we would be called to sacrifice. We have the uncertainty of what maybe we will be called to. And so we can shut down the growth in our relationship. And so what is it that's being revealed? It's, it's important for us to be able to see Jesus's offer of peace and assurance. How does Jesus counteract their fears and uncertainty, right? He doesn't walk in the room and say, listen, you guys are buffoons. You saw the empty tomb. What are you doing back here? He calms them down by giving them peace and assurance. And, and let me just sort of list three ways that he does that because I think he does the same thing for us. One is that he came to them, that he showed up in the midst of their fears and uncertainty. Praise the Lord that there is no door or barrier that can keep Christ away. Right, that he will seek us out and meet us in our fears and uncertainty. He is present with us. This is what we were celebrating over Christmas, right? With Advent is Emmanuel, God with us. It's his presence that is the gift of God, that is eternal life. And so he came to them and he brings his peace and assurance. Secondly, he reassures them, right? He reminds them of who he is. And and the same thing is true for us is that when we're in the presence of God, then we're reminded about the truth of who he is, that he is a faithful God, that he is a good God, that he is a God who keeps his promises. And we need those constant reminders in our experiences with Christ. And then thirdly, not only is he present with them and reminding them of who he is, but he commissions them, right? He reminds them of their purpose and calling. He says, I'm sending you out. And the same thing is true for you and I, is that he reminds us that in Christ, in his presence, and as we're reminded about his truth, that he has a plan and a purpose and a design for us. And listen, when we are able to sit in the reality of his presence and being reminded of his goodness and faithfulness, his character, and we're reminded of the plans that God has for us and that we can trust him with our future, then it doesn't make all the fears necessarily go away, right? And the uncertainty, but we can trust him and we can move in our relationship forward despite our fears and uncertainty. Some of us just get stuck in these fears. We get stuck in the uncertainties of our lives. We don't want to be all in. We don't want to take the next step forward in our relationship with Christ because of what the expectations might be. But what we need more than anything else when you're experiencing fear, when you're experiencing certainty, is to be reminded of the presence of God, of the reality of who he is, and the calling that he has on our lives for a good and glorious life in him. Not perfect circumstances, but a life that is worthy of his worship. And so we see his offer of peace and assurance. Well, there's a third person or group, a third stage to this. And the third stage is overcoming doubt and cultivating profound faith. And so the thing is, is that even when we are in, you know, recognizing the presence of God, and even when we're reminded of the truth of who he is, and we know that God has a plan, and we even, you know, at least marginally, right, we do our best to trust him for whatever that future plan is. Sometimes, even then, even when we have the encounter and the experiences in front of us, we still have these doubts. We still have these questions that exist in our mind. And we see this in verses 26 through 29. Listen to what it says. I, I kind of love and hate this, right? 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him, although the doors were locked. So here they are. Jesus had came and had visited with them, had reassured them, you know, kind of dealt with their fears and uncertainty. And where are the disciples? Are they out proclaiming the resurrection of Christ? No, here they are in the room, doors still locked. Isn't it good that God is patient with us? That growth is sometimes in our spiritual walk, it's one step forward and two steps back and three steps forward and one step back. Like that's how it goes. And God is patient with us in that. And God does not look poorly, look down poorly at doubt, but what he seeks to do is allow his presence to help overcome the doubts that we have. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you, have you believed because you have seen me? <clears throat> Sorry, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so you know probably this familiar passage where Thomas is there and he's doubting Thomas. And he's got all these questions about what's going on and who Jesus is. And Jesus comes up and he says, touch and see and believe. And you know, sometimes I think that in our own lives, we think that's what I want. I want the physical embodiment of Christ to stand before me so that I can touch it and then I'll believe. But Jesus gives us something even greater. He gives us a component of faith that allows our relationship to be deepened, to be broader than just a physical assertion. And it's a really cool process of relationship. Thomas is grappling with doubts, demanded tangible proof of Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus, in his grace, invites Thomas to touch his wounds, leading Thomas to have a transformational confession of faith. It's transformational. And the same thing is true for you and I, that we have doubts, but Christ invites us to seek him and to experience transformation in our lives. And so the application for us is to address our doubts by seeking deeper encounters with Christ, by allowing faith to triumph over uncertainty. And so we would say that God uses our doubts to create transformation. Amen? It's not that doubts are bad, but doubts left unchecked, right, unanswered, then cause us to be stuck in our relationship with God and, and to maybe even move out of relationship. But doubts that pursue, cause us to pursue God and to seek answers and to seek the truth move us into a deeper relationship. And when we encounter Christ and we have these experiences where we're growing in knowledge of him, it will inevitably bring us to a point where we will be confronted with the transformational message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we will have an opportunity to be forever changed, to be forever linked with Christ himself, and to be forever in the presence of Christ as we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Doubts had kept them behind locked doors. And through the example of Thomas, we see that there's a difference between doubts and unbelief. Doubts will say, I cannot believe because there's too many problems. Unbelief says, I will not believe unless you give me the evidence that I ask for. And so there's a difference. But doubt is welcomed by God because it causes us to go back to who Christ is. It causes us to go back to the truth of his word. It causes us to go back to those experiences, right? Just like we talked about the bride and the groom that are dealing with a little bit of nervousness before their wedding day. What do they go back to? They go back to the foundation. They go back to the truth of the person that they know. They go back to the experiences where they've learned and understood and they've grown in their knowledge and their relationship. They've developed a deep love and understanding of this other person. And that's what overcomes the doubts and allows them to enter into this transformational relationship. And the same can be true for you and I. Jesus is literally saying, stop becoming faithless and become a believer. And so what is it that is revealed to us 
Well, what, what we are challenged to see is Jesus' invitation to truth. What overcomes doubt is the recognition of truth. Jesus wanted to strengthen Thomas's faith and include him in the blessing that lay in store for his followers. And it's a reminder to us that doubt can rob us of blessings and opportunities if it is just left unchecked. But when doubt turns into a pursuit of truth, then truth, the, the truth is that everyone ultimately lives by faith. Really, every person, I think, lives by faith to some extent or another. The difference is the object of that faith. Christians put their faith in God and his word, while unsaved people put their faith in themselves. But everybody lives by faith. It's just a matter of who your faith is in. And so there is this opportunity for a transformational growth, transformational commitment. And Thomas believes this. And and it's cool, in the passage he goes and he says, my Lord, my God, he makes this verbal profession of faith. And that transformation is what can carry into our lives and bring about lasting faith. And that leads to the fourth and the final stage that we see. Living as believers beyond the point of physical encounter. So many times I think people wish, you know, like, oh, have you ever heard somebody say this? Like, oh, if, you know, if God would just appear to me and tell me that he's real, that would, you know, that would make things so much easier. easier. If God would just speak from the heavens and tell me what I need to be doing or which way I should go or what decision I should make, that would make things so easier. And yet we are lost on the reality that we have been given something that is even greater than the audible or physical representation of Christ. We've been given an opportunity to have faith in Christ. Sometimes I think people look at faith as being sort of a detriment, a difficulty to the walk with Christ. When reality, faith is the gift that God has given us to be able to open the revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we walk out in that faith, it is deeper and more meaningful because it's not just a physical appearance, but it's something that is tapped into the nature of our hearts. Look in verse 29 again, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus affirms those who believe without physically seeing him, calling for a faith rooted not in tangible experiences, but in spiritual understanding. The application for us is to cultivate a faith that transcends physical encounters, anchoring our beliefs in spiritual truths and eternal promises. And so again, what we would say is that God uses our faith to create an embrace and embrace. You know, think about this in terms of relationship. When two friends or two, uh, you, know, you know, you and your spouse, when there is a warm, loving embrace, there is something that is comforting about that. There is something about that that brings warmth into our lives. There is something about that that is deep and meaningful. And it is an embrace. It's more, there's more that we act on or sorry, the more that we act on our faith, then the deeper our relationship grows and the more intimate it becomes. Faith transcends physical encounters and it is rooted in spiritual understanding and belief. For you and I, it is not necessary to see Jesus Christ in order to believe. It, of course, was a blessing for the early Christians to see their Lord and to know that he was alive And and obviously that provided a significant historical evidence for the resurrection, right? That they saw this. This isn't just something that somebody made up, but these are eyewitnesses accounts of something that they saw firsthand for themselves. And not only that, they gave their lives for it, right? So you're not going to give up your life for something that's a fraud or a hoax or a lie. And so it is an important aspect of the evidence of of the resurrection of Christ. But they were not saved by seeing. They were saved by believing. And the same is true for you and I today. We cannot see Christ physically unless God chooses to reveal himself in that way. I'm not going to limit God by saying he can't. But that's not primarily how God reveals himself. Nor can we see 
him perform the miracles that we see in the book of John uh, that this author wrote about. But they re- what they record is there, and that's all we need because it is enough for us to put our faith in. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, the right- in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. See, lasting faith means cultivating a faith that extends beyond tangible experiences, anchoring in our beliefs and spiritual truths. And so as believers, then we can think through these aspects sort of backwards, right? We have these encounters, just like in our relationships, we have these encounters, we have these experiences, we have this transformational moment when we put our trust in Jesus Christ And that bridges to a lasting faith where we're living out our faith on a day-to-day basis. But as we kind of think backwards for us, just for a minute, think about this, that when we are struggling in our faith, then we can look back on our transformation, the divine commitment of salvation made by God out of his great love for us on the basis of our belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our doubts are not diminished, but rather overcome by our trust in God and his word. And when we are filled with fears and uncertainty, and we sort of feel spiritually like we're just going to close the door and lock it, we are anchored by the recall of our experiences, God's presence and his fulfilled promises in our lives. And when we experience trials and persecution and tragedy, we can live in hope as we see the revelation of Jesus and we encounter him in the midst of our hardships. This is how God continues to reveal himself to us. He revealed himself in these amazing ways to Mary Magdalene and to the disciples and to Thomas specifically. But God doesn't just reveal himself to those people, and now we're just sort of taking their word for it. God continues to reveal himself to you and I, and he does it in much of the same ways that matter that are important. It's not the the physical representation, but God continues to call us by name, to show up in our difficulties and to make himself known. And if we're willing to search, if we're willing to seek, God promises that he will show himself. And even in the times when we feel the fear and the uncertainty of our lives, God continues to show up. He continues to be patient. He continues to reveal himself and to move us from experience to experience, overcoming those fears and uncertainty, all for the purpose of inviting us into a transformational, personal relationship with him. And then it continues from there and even widens and deepens as we walk in lasting faith with him. The encounters in John chapter 20 offer us profound lessons for our spiritual journey. By identifying with Mary's search, embracing Christ's peace, overcoming doubt, and living beyond physical encounters, we can experience transformation and live as steadfast believers in the risen Christ. And let us actively seek encounters with the risen Christ, apply these lessons, find hope, and peace, and transformation in him. I think as we close, I just just want to give a parting word of encouragement, and that is this, that I don't know what stage each of us is in, in in this kind of relational evolution. And and maybe you're somebody who's just looking to encounter God. And, And here's my encouragement to you is, look for God in the places that you would least expect Look for God in the areas that maybe it makes the least amount of sense. When it seems like maybe logically you ought to blame God for being in the situation that you're in, maybe shift the perspective and look for it as an opportunity to encounter Christ in a situation that otherwise would be hopeless. And maybe you've encountered Christ and you're just dealing with fears in your life and it's keeping you from getting involved. It's keeping you from getting taking that next step. It's the uncertainty and the unknown of really taking that step of faith. 
And the challenge is to allow God to come in and to rest in his promises, his presence, the reality of who he is, and the calling that he's given us in our lives, and trust that and move forward in our life, in our life with him. And if you've never trusted Christ as your personal savior, God invites you into that transformational covenant. God invites you to know him personally. It's more than just an encounter, amen? It's more than just these experiences, but it is a deep and personal, eternal relationship that he invites us into on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we can continue to experience lasting faith throughout the rest of our lives. And so my prayer for us is that our encounters with the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, would lead us today and every day to a deeper, unwavering faith that transforms our lives and empowers us to be beacons of his love and his grace to the world around us. Let's, if you will, pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are and God, that you are present with us even right now here today. And God, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the evidence and the power that brings for us to know that in Christ, we too have the power of resurrection. That in Christ, we too can see that sin is defeated and that death is conquered. And so God, we desire to know you. We desire to experience a life with you. And God, we desire to have a transformational change in our lives because of you. And so God, we give you our lives. We recognize that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the sinless promised Messiah, that he died on the cross for our sins so that our wage, our penalty would be taken away from us. And God, we believe that not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but through the power of God that he rose again, defeating sin and death that we can know him personally and that he can save us from our sins. And so God, by faith, we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died, he was raised, and he lives eternally. God, help us to see Christ every day of our lives. Help us to see the revelation of his living power in our days, in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.